Katie Dutters. Welcome to the Scarehouse Podcast. Today, I am joined by my co-host, Scott Simmons. Hello, everybody. Creative director. How many days till we open, Scott? Uh, at this point, 22. Yeep. Yes. This is a big giant eep. <laughs> and today, we're actually, we're away from the Scarehouse. We broke away. And we're at Sorgatron Media Studios up in beautiful Beachview to facilitate some podcasts today from a distance. We're reaching out to uh, some of our friends who aren't exactly in the Pittsburgh area. And we have the first one on the line, our new friend, Ricky. Actually, he's my new friend, Ricky. He already knew yeah, Scott. You guys, yeah, I just assume everyone knows everybody. And I did a terrible job of uh, introducing Ricky. How are you doing, Ricky? Hi there. Everybody's my friend. Hey, <laughs> I like Ricky already. Now, Ricky, what do you do? Uh, I, I, uh, I go on other people's podcasts and talk about stuff. No, um, Super. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. I, uh, I run uh, inside the magic.net. Uh, we cover all things themed entertainment with a, a focus on theme parks. Although this time of year, it's stuff like Scarehouse and haunted attractions and my favorite things in the world. Um, and then I'm also a part of pseudonym productions down here in Orlando where we create uh, really interestingly unique, uh, live experiences as well. And, and Ricky, I mean, you and I have known each other for, I think, several years now, but uh, for people, I mean, I'm going to say a couple of things. I think for people who are listening to podcasts or might not be familiar with Inside the Magic or people who are, uh, how much, can you sort of step through how that all started? Because it is now one of the largest online communities devoted to theme parks, haunted houses, all that kind of entertainment. How did it all uh, get rolling? Yeah, it's been quite a ride for sure. Uh, we're approaching 15 years of uh, wow. of existence, um, which yeah, yeah, that's that's a mind blower right there. Um, it it started as a hobby uh, way back when when podcasting was a a brand new thing. Um, within you know a couple of months of the of the word being coined, uh, started it just as a hobby as a, a little Disney podcaster. I would just talk about Disney stuff and. Much to my surprise, uh, hundreds of people started listening, and I was like, oh, this is actually a thing. Um, so I just kept going from there, and uh, it turned from a small podcast to a big podcast to a small website to a large website, and then, of course, YouTube and social media and all of that came along, and now we are getting millions upon millions of readers and viewers uh, every month, and, and I've got reporters in uh, New York and California and here in Florida, and uh, we try to cover all things that are fun and exciting in the world of themed entertainment all over the country. And it, it really is huge. I mean, I know uh, we've been, for Scarehouse have been fortunate enough to be featured on, on the website, but also on the YouTube channel and the reach and some of the views and things I see on there are, are just astounding. I mean, you're, you're definitely really high up the food chain there. Well, well, thank you, but it should be a testament to Scarehouse as well, because not everything we post on there does that well. I think uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate you sending me some really awesome video from uh, inside your your fantastic uh, haunt, which I finally got to see a few years ago, which was which was wonderful. Yeah, that was wasn't that part of it? You did a whole haunted house tour, if I remember. You saw a bunch of different places that year. I did, yeah. I was, uh, went from Pittsburgh over to, to Philadelphia, and uh, actually right before we started recording, you were talking about recording podcasts in the car sometimes. I literally mm -hmm. recorded podcasts on my drive between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Nice. Um, so that, that passed the time pretty well, but you know, uh, there's yeah, quite a lot of, uh, of good stuff to see up there. And you were covering theme parks, and especially Disney, before anyone else was. You were one of the first pioneers of that. 
I don't know about before anyone else, but I was right. definitely um, sort of part of the new generation. You know, mm-hmm. there were a handful of sites that were covering it back in the late 90s, when you know, mid to late 90s, when the Internet was starting to become a thing. <laughs> and, uh, and and those, you know, some of those still exist. But I, I sort of jumped in when the, the multimedia craze started between mm-hmm. podcasts and video and audio recordings and, and blogs and, and then social media and so on. Well, and what's wild, too, is you um, seemingly, especially in Orlando, the theme parks have really embraced you and some of the other uh, bloggers and, and, and journalists at this point in a way that I think people might be surprised that, you know, I certainly see you guys now have reached a point, uh, especially with Inside the Magic, where you're getting special media access, you're getting advanced looks at things and how... Is that still exciting for you? I mean, you've been doing it for 15 years. Do you still have those moments of, you know, I'm just a fan, right? I'm not supposed to be able to get this kind of access. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been an interesting sort of shift in mindset over the time where I have to put that fan hat aside sometimes and be like, oh, I'm actually a you know professional journalist here for a few minutes while I'm geeking out over things. Um, <laughs> but it, it is wonderful. Like, uh, you know, most recently, we were among a very small number of outlets to be the first to unveil to the world uh, the the Avatar, uh, Pandora, you know, expansion of Disney's wow. Animal Kingdom. Um, it, it was it was a wonderful treat to be able to you know be there with uh, with James Cameron and and Joe Rohde and you know all the people who were instrumental in creating um, all of that and and help them show off their like five and a half years worth of yeah. work um, in in all at once. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty great. <laughs> well, in, going back to the beginning, I mean, was there a point that you remember? of it all clicking together and you, you know, do you remember a sort of a, that first point where you became a fan of theme parks and themed entertainment? Uh, oh boy. Uh, I mean, as far as, uh, as far as I can remember, I, I grew up in Miami and my parents used to take me to Orlando uh, pretty much annually to go to, you know, Disney or, or theme park trips. And, you know, I was there when Universal Studios first opened and, uh, I've always been fascinated with that whole world and it's been great to see it evolve too. Uh, you know, haunted houses have also, also been a big part of all of it for me and to see where that has gone over the years, um, from, you know, tiny little, little uh, JC sort of things to, to, you know, big elaborate things. And then of course now the world of extreme haunts and all these other million things that are going on. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, a lifetime worth of perspective, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, especially with, with universal, I think it's really exciting for me, for me personally, because, um, for me, you know, growing up in, in Pittsburgh, you know, Disney already existed. Disney world existed, but, and you know, there've been Universal Studios Hollywood, but to have an entire, what is now a massive theme park chain and the whole Halloween Horror Nights and everything else, to have that really kind of come into existence in my lifetime for me personally has been really exciting because how, you know, that's a rare occurrence to see like an entire new theme park division, the whole theme park point of view become, yeah, you know, become a real thing. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. And these days I feel like we're in a new, uh, a new dawn of yes. what themed entertainment is with, you know, the, the word immersive being thrown around left and right. Uh, it's, it's finally starting to sort of be 
defined in a in a really exciting way uh where where these worlds are are you know completely built around you to the point where you have zero element of the real world seeping in you are you are part of these other places for as long as you want to be there and uh there the the endless possibilities for that well do you think it was i mean do you think it was the harry potter expansion that sort of started that new trend i mean what is it do you think that or was it a sort of a perfect storm of a bunch of different little things that have started that well you know it's i mean it, immersive environments are nothing new to the theme park world but to the degree of like complete disconnection from the real world i think um the the wizarding world um through through jk rowling's insistence that everything down to the tiniest detail be perfect you know she didn't even let them have coke or pepsi products in there mm -hmm. there was no product placement you know no absurd sponsorships she wouldn't let the main characters show up as like you know hokey you know team members hi i'm harry potter and you know <laughs> some 40 year old guy she was like no we're not we're not we're not doing that and and so it was it was really uh, you know, it took it took that insistence from her to make Universal follow that path, and and the results are astounding. I I do think that was the first mainstream uh, eye opener for the theme park industry. Going, oh, people actually want that. Uh, before, you know, the ideas were already always there, but it was always very hesitant. Are we going to dump hundreds of millions of dollars into mm -hmm. something, and everyone's going to show up and go, I want a Coke? You yeah. know, um, but no, people really do want to be completely surrounded by this. And now we've got, you know, Disney announcing a Star Wars hotel that you can live in the world of Star Wars for days at a time. Uh, that's amazing. It, that that's I've, I think I've mentioned it before in the podcast that Star Wars hotel seems to be the most buzzworthy thing. I don't know if mm -hmm. that's just because it's the newest thing that's actually been announced, but I have heard so many people talk about Star Wars Hotel. Star mm -hmm. Wars it, Hotel. It, it's that and combined with the popularity of uh, Westworld. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, yes. It, every article that's written about this is like, how Disney's building the Westworld in real life, you know, sort of stuff like that. Uh, obviously, minus all of the crazy killing and violence. <laughs> yet. Yet. That'll be an after yeah, hours yeah, event. Exactly. Uh, Believe that to Universal. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing that's amazing is how, you know, you when you say that the Wizarding World, they were very insistent, or JK was very insistent on no soda, no Coke products. The um, the whole idea now that food and beverage seems to be such a core part of it. You know, the legacy of Butterbeer seems to impact every new development is, I think that was another thing that they were talking about on Star Wars, like, oh, there will be blue milk. There will be. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, and well, and also you're seeing um, the food and beverage industry start to pick up cues off of this. There's this insurgence in New York and L.A. of these pop-up themed bars that are completely mm -hmm. unsanctioned, unofficial, mm -hmm. but taking inspiration from you know Tim Burton and Alice in Wonderland and Star Wars and all these things. And you know they're like giving their own clever spin on it. And some of them kind of suck, and some of them don't. Um, but <laughs> it's it's great that people are trying to do that. You know, capture it. You know, if if people are not going to do these things officially uh because i don't know there's too much red tape or not enough money or whatever um it's great to just see people jumping on it and and trying and and making that part of the everyday language you know that people understand what this is all about well and so you're right there on the front lines in orlando and you've seen how the theme parks have embraced halloween how about that for a segue? Yeah. It really wasn't a segue. <laughs> uh, but the can you speak to that a little bit? Because for 
people who might not know like just how huge Halloween has come for the theme parks, what kind of changes have you seen over the last 15 years? You know, it's, um, really been, at least in central Florida, it's been, you know, universal at the forefront of that. I mean, Halloween Horror Nights is the ultimate Halloween event still, uh, year after year. And, and because of that, they, they've been creating such momentum that they can land, uh, you know, intellectual properties that nobody else, you know, authors of things or, or the, the rights holders of things would never have granted to anybody else. You know, we have, we have Kubrick's and, and, and Stephen King, but really it's Kubrick's The Shining coming to Horror Nights this year. That's sort of one of those, wouldn't it be awesome if properties that's been floated out there for decades and nobody's ever been able to actually do that. Um, likewise, American Werewolf in London, John Landis was always super against that ever sort of being, you know, brought to life anywhere because he didn't think anyone could do it justice. But Universal has proved themselves to be able to somehow create kind of a traditional haunted experience of, you know, conga lines and booze scares and all of that, but create these wonderfully little uh, uh, theatrical elements, uh, these vignettes that go on throughout that can push it to, you know, combined with all the scenic and their amazing makeup and costuming and uh, all the technical stuff, it's, they've, they've become the powerhouse definitely of what high budget Halloween can look like. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's another event that has scaled, I mean, even in the last 10 years has scaled to such a huge level. And I've noticed their marketing starts earlier and earlier this year. They were announcing, it's, I swear they were announcing haunts as early yeah. and, as March. And yet, and yet at the same, at the same time, fanboys are like, I need more announcements. I need them now. <laughs> I need them in January. Uh, it, it's never enough for the, for the hardcore fans, but, uh, it, it's gotten to the point where universal could just come out and say, yep, we're doing horror nights again. And everyone would show up like they don't have to market it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing to me because I signed up, um, I get all their email lists and it's like weekly. This is something new coming out and this is mm -hmm. something new coming out. And it, it's really catching my, you know, as someone who's not had a chance to go down there, it's like, oh, this is really interesting. This is really interesting. And they're doing a great job of marketing over email because a lot of places don't do a very good job marketing over email where they're just sending you a bunch of junk. Right. What I find really exciting about what Universal, or I should say most exciting for me, um, mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I love traditional haunted houses. You know, you, you walk through, you see all the cool stuff, you're done in three or four minutes, and you move on to the next thing. Um, but Universal has, over the last few years, has had this sort of, you know, other team going mm -hmm. on that's been experimenting with other ways to incorporate more elaborate Halloween content. Um, you know, whether that's joining a faction and following the story over the course of the event, or an up charge sort of immersive theater inspired thing and you know who knows what they're going to be doing this year it's been great to watch that sort of separate team insert themselves in a tiny way to figure out what the future of of halloween looks like so that it's not so reliant on this you know decades old style of entertainment that's a really good point and because they had done the that experience was it forgive me a repository was that the yeah name yeah that was last year's which was very hard to describe, but kind of a combination of, as you said, immersive theater, VR, escape room, but intimate, you know, groups of four right. people, which they have an experience like that within these, you know, I think I forget how many thousands of people go through an hour in those attractions, <laughs> but to have that kind of experience, I really hope they do more of that kind of stuff because um, I know both, you know, all of us on on the air right now share this love of immersive entertainment and immersive horror. And can you speak to, can you speak to that a bit on your end? Like how 
at what point and how that whole process started with you of actually creating these kinds of experiences? Well, yeah, I mean, the unexpected result of me doing Inside the Magic over the years was the tremendous amount of inspiration that I've personally gotten from, you know, the Imagineers that I've talked to and, and people like you coming to Scarehouse and hearing your story and, you know, how you've you've built it. You know, you're like, hey, here's this cool old building. Let's make it a, a Halloween <laughs> thing. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, the countless headaches along the way, uh, which <laughs> I've now also experienced some of those. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's something that I always wanted to get into, but never really, you know, knew how or when and where and, you know, sort of just stumbled my way into it over the last couple of years. And it's been it's been really rewarding to uh, be on the other side of things and, and you know, have you come out and see what we were working on, have some mm -hmm. of the, the top, uh, you know, entertainment people from Disney and Universal came to some of our experiences and they loved them. And and to get that on the other side, uh, you know, is a, a definitely a very rewarding uh, feeling, especially after just I'm sure what you guys are going through right now is like <laughs> ah, we're three weeks. Oh, God, we're not ready. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, I believe so, last year when I came down, you guys were really, it was like your, op was it really close to opening? I'm like, Hey, what'd you do? What's going yeah. on? Show me around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was, yeah, that was quite the, uh, the endeavor. We, yeah, we did a, a month long, uh, Halloween event called catharsis where, uh, I think we ended up, uh, you know, it was, it was a smaller, more intimate thing. We were doing, you know, maybe a hundred, 150 people a night. I think it was, ended up around a thousand for the month of October, but it was, it was, fantastic we had a blast um uh, you know we got to creep people out and be weird and different and do things that theme parks can't do and you know we saw what orlando is willing to do and and we're surprised actually that they <laughs> looked at us and we were like hey we want we want more give us more you know yeah. we, we we actually held back a little bit because we thought oh this is orlando you know this isn't la mm -hmm. um but but clearly orlando's ready so oh, we're uh, cool. you know cooking up things now <laughs> well i know you and i have talked about that too of sort of the epicenters of immersive theater are New York, LA, um, as far as I know. Although I'd, I'd argue that Pittsburgh's got some really interesting stuff going on. But um, that very point that I know, you know, or Orlando is, it's in the South. I mean, it would, I don't know if that would be considered the Bible Belt, but um, I know, I mean, I remember back in the 90s when Tara on Church Street was there, and, right. you know, there were certain things they're like, nope, can't do that. You know, they were pushing their luck with the whole exorcist scene. And then you're, you know, we're drawing comparisons. You know, those of us who produce these kind of immersive experiences from Sleep No More, which is in New York. And, you know, like you said, L.A., much more adult, much more edgy. So, but it sounds like what well, you're saying, you've been pretty lucky in that you've been able to do some of this stuff and the audience is reacting yeah, to it. It's been tremendously challenging to, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, educate um, yeah. the audiences mm -hmm. here as to as to what we're doing because it is so different. You know, it, it's it's a city. Um, I mean, number, it, it, you know, the city is about two million people, but we get like eight million tourists a year. So uh, it's a it's a tourist dominated city, um, and so to to sort of figure out what uh, makes sense to an audience that expects multi-million dollar attractions mm -hmm. and like oh you know this one we actually put together for like you know twenty thousand dollars or something like mm -hmm. what does that mean to that type of person they you know, get their expectations at the right level but also expect something different you know that theme parks can't do when they're cranking through tens of thousands of people a day versus like oh you're actually one of 50 people we're gonna have tonight mm -hmm. well can you um 
can you sort of summarize some of the productions you've done so far so people can get a sense of the kind of things you've done so far? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I'm, it, it started here in Orlando, at least. Uh, well, here, it's best just to backtrack a little bit. I joined uh, Pseudonym Productions um, two and a half years ago, I guess, um, which was already sort of had tested a few things um, actually up in your neck of the woods uh, at uh, University of Pennsylvania, um, sort of stemmed out of that, and then uh, came here to Orlando, and we did our sort of first proof of concept experience called The Republic, um, which was in an old, hot, you know, unair conditioned warehouse, uh, <laughs> uh, sort of north, uh, north of downtown Orlando, where uh, we were part of the Orlando Fringe Festival and extended past that. And it was, you know, an hour, hour and a half experience that uh, very loosely told a s- story of this sort of weird, other, I don't know, dystopian world that never was entirely concrete and it was really up to the participants, the players, as we called them to find their place in this world and interact. And, you know, we had live actors and 15,000 square feet of sets that you could roam freely and get out of it, whatever you put into it. You know, if you're really engaged and super into it, it was an awesome time. If you went and sat in a corner the whole time, well, that was your own fault. (laughs) Um, So, uh, so it was, it was a great, a way for us to test how people interacted in a free form sort of open world environment. And from there, we uh, took a step back and, and spent all many months developing our biggest production, which was uh, When Shadows Fall, which um, happened last year here in Orlando. Um, we had an air conditioned warehouse this time. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and that just took off. Uh, we, we had unbelievable response to um, what essentially was a, a society that we had created that had been hidden in Orlando for decades, now sort of opening its doors to people for the first time. And of course, as soon as people were coming in, everything went horribly wrong. And it was, it was very much a, a dystopian story for, for a couple of hours in which you got, you know, joined, um, you know, got paired up with with some actors and followed them around and embodied a role and had tasks and, uh, you know, learned the story as you went. It was very emotional, um, very personal. And, it, you know, every sort of decision and choice that people made along the way actually impacted the story for them and for everybody else. So it was like 40 people making decisions simultaneously, crafting a story or, or guiding a story together and then, you know, culminating in one big finale that somehow still made sense for everybody. Um, and, and it, it really moved people, uh, people, you know, wrote to us and told us that they were, uh, you know, got, it enabled them to come out of their shells. You know, the shy people were able to interact and be social and, you know, get off their computers and get off their phones and actually do something in real life. And that was a big, uh, a big intent for us. So, um, we, we established a, a nice little following, uh, of fans that even created their own little fan club and came six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times to the thing, um, which was fantastic. And then, as I said earlier, after that, we did uh, catharsis, which was a very different sort of change in direction. We wanted to experiment with a more linear flow, um, and, and test the Halloween audience out. And, and now we're, uh, working on our next few things. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, it really, I mean, that's a recurring theme. Anytime we talk about immersive experiences, it, it, it's not uncommon to have, hear people having those kinds of emotional reactions of, like you said, they, it allows them to awaken, awaken something in themselves or they feel, they find a sense of community. And I mean, you know, I know people personally who have seen sleep no more over a hundred times and who have, like you said, certain experience or certainly basement 
Scarehouse Basement, we have our super fans who come out every year and we have a very loose, we have a more of a mythology upstairs for main Scarehouse than we do downstairs. We have a little bit of one that we're sort of playing around with and it's so much fun that people start noticing and they start picking up the references and it kind of makes us who are doing the creative aspect of it kind of inspires and pushes us to put in our own little Easter eggs and things. In fact, just before I got here, we were walking through basement and sort of identifying different places where we could reference previous productions of the basement, previous productions of Scarehouse, and just kind of nest all that stuff in. It's just as much fun for us, I think, as it is for the people going through. Yeah, it, it, it's wonderful to see uh, people get connected to to something that we've created, and uh, yeah, to sort of you know string them along until mm-hmm. we do our next thing, and 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 see where yeah where we can litter in all those all those references, but also you know move forward and, and tell a, a whole new uh, a whole new story. Well, I'm going to ask you a really kind of big and unfair question. <laughs> Since you're on the front lines of covering you know theme parks and immersive experiences. This is like something uh, a reporter would ask if I was a real reporter. Like, what do you think is the future of themed and immersive entertainment? Like, what kind? Where do you see all of this going? Uh, it's a no. It's a great question. Um, I, I, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see to see how Disney um, manages to take all of these concepts that are are working very well in the immersive theater space of, of people, you know, having their own stories that they're, you know, sort of the center of the story that they, what they do impacts everything and somehow expanding that to thousands and thousands of people a day. You Mm -hmm. know, how do you take something that by design, the reason it is good is because it's intimate and often one-on-one, but then it also is available for the masses. Um, it's an interesting challenge that I know they are, they've been working on for years and, and, you know, it's, it's a tough nut to crack for sure. But I, I do believe that on some level, um, that is the direction that we're going. You know, we went through this interactive phase a few years ago where everything had to be interactive, which meant pushing buttons and joysticks (laughs) and screens and all that. And, and then everyone realized that we get all of that constantly all day you know we're staring at our screens our computers our phones um and you know you don't need to go to a theme park and and wait in line and be like oh look here's a giant phone in front of me that's just (laughs) what i want to look at so uh, you know fortunately that level of interactivity seems to be fading away with actual like personal relevant you know important uh feeling interactivity and and i think that's where we are are headed is is making people feel more part of what they're doing as opposed to a passive observer. Well, and I think one, something that just occurred to me now is even sleep no more is a relative, especially in terms of New York terms is a relatively inexpensive price of admission. And a lot of the immersive experiences that we do by design, they're a little bit more scrappy and organic. So you are not investing, you know, you as a customer are not necessarily investing that much money. So you're willing to go like, all right, I'm with it. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to try this thing. How does that mindset change when you are a family of four and you are spending thousands and thousands and thousands (laughs) of dollars to go to these theme parks? And by God, I didn't get to be on solo. I don't want to be this guy. Right. I want to be that, you know, that's going to be an interesting, not the crack too. Well, that's, that's the, uh, the big worry with the star Wars hotel is, uh, you know, everyone's 
pretty sure that the only way they'll be able to do what they're going to do is by charging an arm and a leg for it. And it's going to become this very, you know, for the rich only type of experience. Yeah, it, it certainly, um, I, uh, clearly, I think everyone on here loves theme parks, but boy, it is certainly getting expensive. <laughs> Yeah, and it's intentional, too. I mean, if you look at the California parks, uh, Disney's had a real problem with overcrowding, you know, selling too many annual passes and it essentially becoming a daycare for for the locals. Mm -hmm. And they've they've, you know, by by no secret to anyone uh, uh, have, you know, increased and increased and increased their ticket prices to effectively price people out Mm -hmm. in order to I mean, if you look at their last earnings, they made roughly the same amount of money, but attendance was down. And that's not a negative for them. They want attendance to be down and they want to make more money. That's, that's the best (laughs) case scenario for them. Yeah, I know. Well, cause you know, I'm going to be going down for Halloween Horror Nights and I was pricing some of the, the hotels where I've stayed before on site and the numbers looked much different than I remembered them looking the last time I did this. So yeah. And, and it's also fun. I mean, we could talk about theme parks for a very long time, but for people who aren't as deep into um, the theme park business, the differences between Disneyland and Disney World, exactly like you said, like Disneyland having a little bit more of a regional appeal. And like you said, it it is a place where people would just kind of hang out. Whereas Disney World being that once in a year or that once in a lifetime kind of experience and just knowing that influencing just so many changes and things that happen behind the scenes is always really fascinating to me. Yeah, it's also, you know, uh, California is an interesting place. Uh, you know, we've been talking about the the immersive theater world and even the smallest, uh, honestly, even the lamest uh, productions <laughs> out there can get away with charging 50 60 $70 for a ticket. Mm-hmm. And people don't even blink an eye. Uh, whereas, you know, here in Orlando and probably up where you guys are as well, um, we, you know, we, we have to charge like half that, if that, uh, and, and in order for people to, to be like, Oh, okay, this is, we'll go to this independent thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, before we let you go though, we should talk about the haunted mansion because I happen to know for a fact that you were quite the fan of that attraction. Always have been. Uh, mm-hmm. I, one of my earliest memories going to Disney was, uh, you know, going going to the Haunted Mansion uh, with with my parents. And I I don't know how old I was, very young. And uh, uh, I was scared of the, you know, thunder and lightning effects outside and the howling dog and all of that. And my dad tried to convince me that it was actually just Cinderella's castle and there was nothing <laughs> to be worried about. And, and I sort of fake bought that in order to go in. And then, of course, I was enamored by it after that. Oh, that's fantastic. And you... I know you had shared uh, on Inside the Magic before your very impressive collection of Haunted Mansion stuff, and you had built up a collection really, I'd say, before Disney fully grasped what they had. And I guess my question now is there's more and more Haunted Mansion collectible stuff coming out seemingly every month. Do you ever feel a little bit like the Haunted Mansion collector hipster? Like, back in my day, I used to have to... (laughs) You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm so hipster that I, I actually am not a collector anymore. <laughs> um, I, I've I've decided to de-stuff my life uh, quite a bit and and you know bring it down to the bare bones, which you know is a, it takes a lot of the pressure off. Actually, <laughs> it's it's tempting, you know that all it's all the, the the things that Disney in particular does is I as a grown up 
as a guy with no kids, I usually can get through the theme parks feeling pretty good. Like, nope, I don't need that. Don't need that. Don't need that. And then you find that one store where like, you know, we have some prints and some posters <laughs> and these recreation of the hanging portraits that you can hang on right. like all yeah, there goes my money. Yeah, they managed to crank it out year after year. Just when you think they're out of ideas, you're like, oh, there's that one more really awesome thing I had never thought of. Yeah, the the whole the whole hat the hat box ghost. That's sort of my hipster moment. Like hat box ghost was a nerdy thing. That was something we used right. to all talk about. Now it's on like <laughs> t-shirts and action figures and yeah. But at least it's back. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So what's up next for you, Ricky? Uh, oh boy. Well, I mean, there's the day to day of, uh, of inside the magic, you know, the theme park park world never sleeps. Um, so there's, you know, we've got, we, I mean, Halloween season's coming up, so we'll be covering a lot for sure. Um, and then we, uh, over at pseudonym are also, um, putting the final pieces together of, uh, what we'll be doing this year for our, uh, Halloween time experience. Um, so that's, that's in the works and, and beyond that, we've got, you know, other, other plans for the future that we're just sort of taking a breather a little bit and slow and steady and we'll get there when we get there. And yeah, I, I, running inside the magic, that is no joke. I, I remember sitting next to you at a, uh, uh, Disney round table. I think it was during IAPA and watching you and you were recording it, uh, for putting up on the YouTube channel, but at the same time, like you were, you were tweeting and you're taking photos and you're putting stuff on <laughs> social media, like just one man hustler, just all those different feeds and channels, like the beast well, must be fed. Yeah. Fortunately it's, it's grown enough to where it's no longer a, a one man operation. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much, uh, hands off at this point, sort of running the business side of things. And I have a amazing team of reporters that I expect them to do all of what you just said and more. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I did it. You're going to do it. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Speaking from experience, that's, that's, that can be exciting, but also, yeah, it can, I sometimes feel bad for the people who are working for me or working for you who are like, oh, that's too much work. I can't do it. Like I did it. No, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very rewarding, uh, job for sure. I mean, we have, we get to do some of the most fun things in the world, meet some amazing people. Um, you know, the, the D 23 expo, uh, Disney's big convention over the summer was the most insane flurry of announcements and excitement ever in the history of theme parks probably. <laughs> and, you know, we had uh, absurd levels of, uh, of, of, of traffic and, and views and all of that. And, you know, just to see people come back and be like, I couldn't be there, but I felt like I was because of what you guys did that's that's all we can ask for that's excellent excellent well uh as katie was starting to say where can people find all of your stuff on the social medias and the web yeah uh inside the magic's pretty easy it's inside the magic.net and uh pick your favorite uh social media and add slash inside the magic to it uh <laughs> and, and you'll find it youtube twitter facebook we do have an instagram but we don't use it that much um yet uh and then uh for pseudonym productions we actually just launched a uh, an all new website that will continue to evolve um at pseudonymproductions.com very cool well thank you so much ricky for joining us today this was awesome yeah, this is great. Thank you for having me. Gosh. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Swear, 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 swear,